Welcome to Digital Mental Health Conversations, the podcast by SilverCloud Health. The sixth podcast in our series is about the potential of automated support in digital interventions that support resilience building. So let me introduce today's guests. We are joined by Jacinta Jardine and Hangul Enrique. Jacinta Jardine is an innovation associate in the product team and works on content, editing and designing research. She just started a PhD in human-computer interaction with SilverCloud and Trinity College Dublin. Hangul Enrique holds a PhD in clinical psychology. He currently works as a digital health scientist at SilverCloud Health, and he also holds a research fellow position in the e-mental health research group at Trinity College Dublin in Ireland. His main background is in developing and testing the efficacy of clinical and positive psychological interventions face-to-face and internet-delivered for different mental health conditions, such as anxiety and depression. Welcome. So today's podcast is looking at the potential for automated support to scale mental health services, particularly in areas like resilience building that can benefit people during difficult times. So the two areas that we would like to focus on today is firstly the resilience program that SilverCloud has developed, And secondly, the research into the different modalities of support that you can offer through that program, either in person or via automated support. So our two guests today, I'd like you to please introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about your your role within either the the resilience program or actually the the research study looking at the the impact and effectiveness of different types of support. So Angle, could you just uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the research? Sure, thank you, uh, Lloyd, for the yeah for the, the brief introduction. So really, my, my role in this trial was to I participated in the design, in the planning and design of, of the study along with uh, Dr. Derek Richards, and then we, we supervised the, the the correct uh, execution of the of the trial at the different uh, stages during uh, recruitment and also then on data collection and data analysis and and the uh, publication of the. Of the results, so I was part of the of the different stages of the research study overall. Wonderful, thank you. And Jacinta, could you uh, tell us a little bit about your role in the design and development of the actual resilience program itself? Sure. So I, yeah, I was part of the team that designed and developed the resilience program along with um, John Sherry and some of our content and design team. And I wrote um, a lot of the content and some of the background research for the program and yeah sort of worked on um, some of the design of the tools and um, things like that. Wonderful so could you then just provide a bit of a brief overview of the resilience program uh, what's in it and, and sort of the focus of that program for us? Sure yeah I suppose it makes sense to to give a kind of an overview of the structure of SilverCloud first just for anyone that doesn't no, because it's it's similar uh, in structure to a lot of our programs. So there's a number of different modules in the program, and this one was seven seven different modules. So there's an introductory module and a kind of finishing up module at the end, and then these five kind of core modules um, in the middle that can be done in any order. And we kind of say that each module takes about 40 minutes uh, for a user to complete if they did it all in one go. But um, that's not always how people use it. So it's kind of easy enough for people to dip in and out um, to kind of go back and see work they've already done and to bookmark things like that. And then each module follows a similar structure. So 
a lot of it would be comprised of um, written content, psychoeducational content, but there's also a lot of interactive tools and exercises. And um, for example, there's a mindfulness exercise in each module. And then also there are personal stories. Um, so these are like user case studies, I suppose, um, of how different people use the program. So that's kind of what the structure is like. And then in terms of the content of the actual resilience program, um, so resilience is the, the capacity to face and bounce back from and even be strengthened by challenges in your life. And it's quite linked to well-being. Um, so there's sort of two sides of the same coin. So this program was developed as a preventative kind of treatment for healthy individuals. Uh, healthy adults actually was the original program was developed for and then we adapted it to the student population for this trial. And basically that that's through uh, adapted personal stories mostly and tool examples that are relevant to the student population. But the program is based on positive psychology, which is kind of a, an interesting area in psychology. It's quite different to what a lot of psychology focuses on, which is clinical interventions for treating problems like anxiety and depression. Those interventions look at kind of helping people to get from feeling unwell, or maybe like a minus 10 on a scale to, to feeling okay, which is maybe a zero. And then positive psychology looks at sort of the opposite end of the scale. So getting up to that plus 10 level of leading a fulfilling life and feeling satisfied and um, sort of flourishing. So it's kind of an interesting perspective for us and something quite different um, in Silvercoat. And the focus of the program in itself is the kind of five core modules focus on these five areas of resilience, which we distilled down from some of the research and literature. We looked at a lot of uh, research on like previous resilience interventions and what are these kind of modifiable resilience factors that, that can be changed. People can, can build on and build skills uh, to build their resilience. So those five things are, um, so the first one is purpose. So that's about your values and what you spend your time on and kind of spending time on things that are important to you and having a, a balance in your life in terms of your different roles that you play. And the second one is self. So that's all about treating yourself with compassion, which is particularly important when things aren't going well. And your strength and then also your self-care. So that's another quite important one for resilience. So the third module is connections. So this is all about your close personal personal relationships and um, but also about communities that you might belong to and how having that sense of belonging and being part of a group can actually be quite important for, for your well-being. And then the final two modules or kind of areas of resilience are body and mind. So this is about having healthy health in your physical body, which is really, really important. Um, and we split it into these three areas of uh, diet, exercise and sleep being kind of the core aspects of physical health. And then my, having a healthy mindset as, as another part of resilience. So this is about the, the kind of way you perceive the world. And we look at balanced optimism as quite a nice frame or kind of um, realistic way of, of seeing the world that's actually, that's also optimistic. And also gratitude is quite an important thing there. So those are the kind of five main things and something actually quite nice in the program, which was another new thing for us, is that we have this um, mental model kind of, or it's a tool that goes throughout the program, but it's an, and kind of a graphic that goes throughout all the program as well. It's called the Resilience Star. So it's basically a five uh, a star with five um, segments 
and they represent these kind of five core areas of resilience. Um, and there's a little questionnaire you do at the start where you kind of rate where you're at at the moment in terms of these areas. And that can help you then decide which module to go to first, you know, which area maybe you need to do a bit of work on. And then at the end of the program, you get to re-rate that again and see how you're doing now. But it's a nice kind of progress map almost for people to see that they know right from the start that they can, um, they know what they need to do to build up this resilience. It's building up these kind of five, five areas. And then the final module, um, it's kind of wrapping up module, but it also looks more specifically at problem solving and problems themselves, because that, that, that is what resilience is about. It's being able to, to face and, and deal with problems. Uh, and a lot of that module is about sort of how we approach problems, really, and how we perceive them as, because life is always going to be full of problems. It's just how you deal with them. Oh, sorry, that was a lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> no, wonderful. Thank you very much for for that very detailed kind of background into into the resilience program. And, and as you mentioned, it's 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 very different to, to some of the other programs which have focused on um, mental health as mental illness. Whereas this is very much about mental health as a positive, the, the maintaining and growing your, your your mental health around that. And I think that's going to be kind of really fundamental as as we are in the midst of COVID-19 and building up resilience factors to, to manage those challenging and difficult times. And I guess as we're experiencing that second pandemic wave with a lot more restrictions uh, that are either about to be implemented or, or, or are in place, depending where you live. Um, what role do you think that, that this type of program resilience can play in supporting people's mental health and well-being compared to perhaps some of the other programs? Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. That's kind of an interesting one because building a resilience is always about, well, it kind of we see it as about preparing yourself to face challenges, whereas uh, we're all kind of going through quite a big challenge uh, right now. I think a lot, I think the sort of problem-solving aspect of it is really uh, crucial to that, that it focuses on these problems being a normal part of life and it's something that we just sort of have to approach in a certain way. And that idea of separating out the things that you have no control over from things that you can control and being able to focus on the things you can control, I think is, is really important at the moment. And actually the program itself is something that you, a user would ha have a lot of control over so they can control sort of how they use it and when they use it. And it's also really nice in that it's like, it's almost like an anchor point that, uh, it won't be affected by restrictions and lockdowns and things like that. It's kind of um, a sort of safe space amidst all the uncertainty, because I think the uncertainty is, is kind of one of the biggest um, issues at the moment, that lack of control. So being able to access something like this, yeah, can give people back a bit of a, a sense of control and kind of building up a positive side of yeah, their mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that sense of uncertainty that that sense of lack of control being able to exert influence over the things that you you can is is, is really really crucial during this time to to um create that that sense of of, of control and uncertainty over the things within a, an individual's life um and i guess kind of the resilience program is is something that's suitable for for everybody in a sense that that whereas you know when we focus on things like kind of depression and anxiety they might be for very specific kind of uh, issues and concerns whereas we could all benefit for, from kind of growing our resilience could you just also just before we kind of dive into to, to the research a little bit um 
Could you just tell us a little bit about the different ways that Silver Cloud can be used in terms of how it can be kind of supported or unsupported and, and the different ways that the people can uh, go through the program and what that looks like within Silver Cloud? Yeah, so it's sort of designed to, it was originally designed to be used in quite a, in quite a specific way in, in the NHS and kind of services like that. So it's designed to be supported and by a, so a, a clinician or actually we've had a lot of this research done that shows that trained technicians can be just as, as effective um, in providing support. So it's written support, weekly written support. And it was sort of designed around traditional therapy formats. So the person would do maybe one module a week and then spend an hour and sit down at their desk and kind of work on it as they, you know, as they would book into a therapy session. But actually we're finding more and more that people are using it in a much more integrated way in their life. Uh, and that, and we're starting to work on a lot more projects around, okay, how can we adapt the program now to how people are actually using it? So the different models of support are really uh, interesting. So the automated support in this trial or kind of different versions of like opt-in support or yeah, like kind of just the flexibility of, I think, of it, I think is really an interesting area that we, we're starting to look at now. I think uh, all that you have said, Jacinta, is, is very on point. Like uh, really, you know, the, the Silver Club started as a, from, from a supportive model, but I think we have successfully transitioned as well to other forms of support. And these are especially relevant for, for programmatic resilience because, uh, you know, as, as Lloyd uh, pointed out, really we're talking here about healthy, healthy people or vertucomas, really, because, uh, you know, definitely we all have our problems. And in the current situation, we are all dealing with this uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic as a, as a life stressor. Uh, but, you know, just coming back to, to the point of on the support, the fact that it's uh, offered to, to, to people with, with perhaps uh, lower symptoms of depression, anxiety, or people that just want to, to promote their, their well-being and, and, and quality of life. In this sense, uh, the idea would be here perhaps to change the way we provide the support where we can provide lighter forms of support, like automated. In this case, is the is the one the the, the modality we we tried out because we thought that you know it, it's especially relevant in in this special uh, you know in this specific population, like forms that are more scalable and that can be offered uh, you know for for different people at different times. I guess that's one of the, the benefits of Silver Cloud in the sense that support can be offered in different ways. And because it's uh, asynchronous, i.e. the support doesn't have to be done in real time with the, the, the end user, the patient, the client at the other end, then, then you get those real significant kind of efficiencies over a one-to-one -one approach, whether that one-to-one -one approach approaches either face-to-face -face or video consultation or using technology such as text messaging, et cetera. I guess SilverCloud kind of offers that that real kind of efficiency of a one-to-many model. Um, but still, sometimes that um, in-person asynchronous support um, can be kind of limited if there are car capacity issues with kind of clinicians, psychological well-being practitioners or, or technicians, as, as you mentioned, uh, Jacinta. So, so I guess that kind of leads very uh, nicely into 
the actual kind of research study itself um, around the resilience program. Um, and the, the, this recent study that I, I'd like to kind of dwell on is, is the one that assessed the, the feasibility of this, uh, of, of the resilience program to be offered either with asynchronous human support or automated support. Um, could you just tell us a little bit more about the background of the research study uh, and, and just, just provide a little context for it? Definitely. So, uh, so really at the time when we designed the study, uh, there was not much evidence about the benefit of, of unsupported and automated ways of, of support. And, and we thought that even that we, we, we just finalized the, the design of the, of the resilience program. And, and as Jacinta mentioned, you know, students is actually a population that uh, it's especially at risk for developing mental health problems because of the, the, the time they are at and, and also the, the changes with, uh, related to the fact that they are starting with, with university and, and all the stress of related to that one. Really, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a population that it's, it's a very, very good fit for, for intervention like, like resilience. As Jacinda pointed out, the intervention is based on a, on a positive psychology uh, background, which is about the promotion of, of well-being and, and positive emotions, positive affect. And I, as I was saying, we also wanted to try different modalities of support. So not only looking at the, the, the feasibility and the preliminary effectiveness of the, of the intervention, but also looking at, at the fact that like, at the differential effects of the, um, of different modalities of support. So for that, we, we designed this pre-arm pilot randomized controlled trial aimed at investigating the, as, as you said, the, the feasibility and the preliminary effectiveness of a space for resilience program in a sample of, of college students. And the, the trial was, was uh, as I was saying, a college students in, in, in Ireland. The trial was conducted in, in conjunction with the, the student counseling service at Trinity College Dublin. And, and there, you know, we designed this trial where the three arms were one was um, offering the intervention with human support. The second arm was offering the intervention with automated support. And the third arm was a waiting list a control group. So the intervention that was offered during eight weeks and those who were assigned to the human support group they actually were assigned a coach. Uh, in this case, was was a clinician from the um, from the, the the student counseling service, and these clinicians were were told to provide four reviews during the intervention period. And this is actually a change that uh, we we actually proposed as, as the, the the original trials that we are we we would be doing because usually uh, when we have done trials for when we have offered interventions for depression and anxiety, we usually offer like you know like weekly reviews or you know six reviews across across an eight weeks period here as as it's more healthy population we thought that lighter support would be enough so for that we we proposed four reviews across an eight week period so this is what the the individuals in the human support group got and then those who were assigned to the automated automated support group they received genetic and templated reviews which were automatically sent as messages on the platform. We followed a similar uh, schedule of support as we did in the, in, the human, in the human group. Like we also offered 
for uh, automated reviews across the eight weeks intervention period. And again, the, the structure of the of the reviews was was very similar. I wanted to do it uh, as, as as similar as possible in terms of the um, of the actual content of the review, but of course without the level of personalization that a human support uh, would offer. But that was a bit the the design, the, the background and the design uh, of the study. And then we we measured, we included different measures. We measure resilience, we measure well-being, stress, self-esteem, and also the acceptability of those who, who underwent the, the resilience program. That's uh, fascinating and, and sounds like a really important study and trial to, to kind of conduct. So, so could you just talk us through then what the actual results, what you found and the outcomes of the study? Sure, sure. So. The results uh, were interesting. I mean, it's true that it's it, it's a pilot uh, study, so definitely the trial was not powered to find significant differences between groups. So, uh, because you know, the, the, because of the nature of the study being with a with a lower sample size, we actually aimed at recruiting 25 uh, participants for each arm, so a total of 75 participants. And when we look at the results, uh, interestingly, all participants demonstrated significant improvements in resilience and related outcomes, including an, an unexpected improvement in the in the waiting list group. But when we looked at the at the at the at the effect sizes within group effect sizes, we actually saw that um, there were small to moderate effects um, for for those assigned to to the active groups, the human and the and the automated, but we did see that the, the, the those assigned to the to the human support uh, benefited a bit, a bit more. So the, the exercises there were um, were tended to be uh, a bit larger. But that said, is is true that you know uh, we did not see significant differences because of the the, the lack of statistical power. But the exercises definitely tell us that the intervention was able. To produce benefits uh, in the different at the different level, so in resilience and also in in well-being, self-esteem um, and stress. So those were the the main results we found in terms of um, effect sizes. Then we also measured uh, more things. We also um, collected the levels of engagement with the platform and engagement measured by time spent in the platform, the number of tools used, the the number of modules completed. This type of, of information, and here we of, we of course were comparing the, the human versus the, the the automated support group. We did not find significant differences in usage. We saw a trend toward a, a higher usage in the in the human, but the, the the usage was quite heavy in both in both groups. So both groups used it significantly, which was very very good to to see. And, and in terms of, of satisfaction with the intervention, we saw that in general, the, all participants were very satisfied. They were happy to use the computer to access the intervention. 82% found the intervention easy to use, and 79% found it helpful, and 70% would recommend it to, to others. So in that sense, the, the acceptability were, were good, and that's what responds to the question about the, the feasibility. So we actually were able to, to to say that the the intervention was was feasible and the the levels of of benefits definitely needs to be confirmed, but they were uh, positive. Another interesting um, finding that that we had, and I would like to to comment here, is in the regards to the to the user preference. 
because interestingly, before randomizing the individuals to the different groups, we, we explained them. The, we, we explained them what the human support would entail and we explained them what the, 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 the automated support would entail. And we asked them which condition they would like to be assigned. Would they like to be assigned to the human support group or would they, would, would they like to be assigned to the, to the automated uh, support? And we actually analyzed the POSOC, of course, you know, like it was an, an exploratory question, but we wanted to see if the, if the match, if the fact that they were uh, getting what they wanted had an impact in the, in the levels of engagement with the platform. Because, you know, we saw engagement wasn't significantly different, but we did see that those you know, human support uh, were using it a bit more. And interestingly, there we saw that those who got what they needed, those who wanted support and got support, and those who wanted automated and got automated actually were using it you know at a very similar level so the the time spent was very similar between these two groups which speaks a bit about the fact that you know maybe maybe it's not that much about having support or not having support it's about the preference of users for having one type of support versus another so we found this a very a very interesting results as well definitely i mean it's a it's a preliminary study, so all these results are going to inform the the design of a of a larger OCT to confirm the the, the trends and the effects seen in this study. Thank you very much. Uh, again, really key to to kind of differentiate between kind of effect sizes, power sizes. Uh, the, the impact of automated uh, versus uh, uh, human support. So I, I guess there's there's with any kind of research uh, study uh, like this or any research study in general, um, there's always then kind of what does the future, what what is next in terms of uh, what's the next study that we need to? Because often they they throw up some answers, but often they kind of throw up uh, additional questions. So so in the future, what what would you like to do next then in terms of expanding our understanding about the, the role of automated support and demonstrating the, the efficacy of, of the resilience program or maybe other programs as well? So really, of course, we need to, to conduct that larger city to, con to confirm the, the benefits of the, of the program. In terms of support, I think that the results of this study open many questions. I, you know, like, it, and it's very interesting to see that, like, from the literature, we know from what we have seen so far in, in many research studies, not only ourselves, but others as well, that programs in general works better if they are offered with support, right? But really, the results of these studies are, are looking at the results at an aggregate level. So, of course, if you look at a, at a sample of 100 participants, uh, sorry, 200 and then 100 per group, you may see that at an aggregate level, those with support get better. But you don't really see if those, you know, would benefit as well from other forms of support. So, in that sense, I think this is something that we we are actually trying to to answer next. Like, who does need? Uh, human support versus automated, as we have seen the, the value here. And, and I think that that's the first question, like who, who actually needs the support versus who may need uh, other forms of, of support. And then another question that arises from this study is about the user preference, like the importance of listening to users and what they really want, what they want to get. Because this, is, this actually speaks about the, the expectations uh, that the users would have about the intervention uh, as well. 
So in that sense, user preference is definitely something to consider to to bring into into next studies. Like you know what, how, how important is that they they get to choose the level of support that they that they want or even that they need. So I think this is definitely something that we need to explore further in the in the future. As Jacinta was saying as well, there has been research in terms of the different types of supporter, and we have seen that different um, different supporters would are, are, are effective. So so again, maybe it's not that much about the about who is the supporter, but more about what a supporter is bringing, right? So and and here we're talking about about accountability, about empathy. And not just that if, if there is something else here that you'd like to talk about in regards to what a supporter brings. Yeah, that's actually something I was yeah thinking about there is about the, the types of automated messages and whether we could look into that, like which what is it about those messages that is helping um, people to stay engaged or to, to get better? Because I think in, in the trial that you did, the messages were quite similar to a, what a I think they were based on um, best practice templates, uh, supporter messages. So, and they would include a lot of our like criteria because I've been part of developing a lot of our supporter training materials and kind of checklists for uh, what makes a good review based on based on the, the research. But there's kind of a lot of things in there that are that are the elements that are helping people to stay engaged. So it's yeah, like you were saying, the accountability, the empathy, and kind of having a non-judgmental understanding person there which could be a, a big element of it and then the suggestions for content and what to do next and and reinforcements so there's lots of different bits of a supporter message that we could split out and see okay which elements of these can be automated you know if you automate an empathetic message is that does that work as well as a, as a human being um, conveying that or kind of just kind of breaking it down a bit more I think could be really interesting. Thank you and, and that's that's really good for for kind of a research trial. There's lots of kind of intellectual and academic kind of kind of directions for for the research. I wonder then how we translate some of those findings and some of the conclusions in terms of practice. How how do we kind of then how, how do we then see the different types of support being implemented in the future? Do you think that certain groups or cohorts of of, of users should have different types of support? How do we kind of take some of the the, the, these key findings and then either adapt, change, or, or recommend the usage of, of kind of Silver Cloud and the Resilience Program? So really, I mean, th there is a lot of value, in, in, in especially in the, in the automated uh, support group, like uh, as you were saying uh, as well, Lloyd, like, you know, automated support allow us to, to reach more people because it's, it's more scalable. And it's it, this ability to, to reach more 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 people in in a better way. So it is a step ahead of of unsupported, and it can actually lead to similar levels of engagement and and possibly uh, even outcomes than, than, than human support. It's definitely you know trying to to understand a bit more how to to provide this automated support in the in the, in the optimal way, as Cynthia was saying, you know about the what the the content should be for the for the automated with the type of of suggestions we could be um, recommending there in terms of what the next uh, content should be digested by the, by the users, also the, the frequency of the support, the schedule of the support. So in that sense, you know, there may be uh, different uh, things that we could trial. And, and another point that it's important, 
is that this automated support, as I was saying, being something that it's, uh, allows for a greater scalability is the fact that um, automated support may be especially relevant for population health approaches, where the focus is not that much on, on treatment, but more on prevention. And this is uh, answering to, to what you were saying, Lloyd, like uh, really this automated support may be very, very relevant for individuals in, uh, who, who actually want to promote their well-being, those who want to, to feel better and leverage to even those who want to use the solution at different points in life, like under different life circumstances and, and stressors. That's actually, Angela, made me think of something I thought of with Lloyd's earlier question about the future of um, trials on these this kind of program, this well-being thing. And I think that, that what you just said there about the kind of long-term usage of the program would be something really interesting to look at because it's not designed as a treatment, even though it's sort of fitting into our, our current system of treatments. But resilience itself, it's like something that you build into habits in your life. It's something that you could use realistically for for a long time and keep coming back to. So it's not the same as a sort of eight-week um, treatment where you just, you know, you kind of go through it and then you maybe be finished and you'd keep working on things. But um, it could, yeah, so that'd be really interesting to look at how we could use it more long-term and, and how would support work with that. So obviously you can't have human support for a year. You know, there'd be a lot of, um, kind of a lot of resources there. But yeah, it's it'd kind of be interesting to spit out and, and to look at support, like maybe the support at the start of your journey um, and then you transition to, to kind of different types of sport and then maybe you transition into automated sport. Yeah, it could be interesting to see different different ways that we can use these uh, well-being-based programs. And I guess that's the benefit then of automated support because obviously the traditional mental health treatment paradigm is that you have a, an episode of care uh, and then you're discharged. Whereas I guess automated support just allows that continuous care, uh, that, that that ability to to kind of have a, a, a check-in on a, on a regular basis and to motivate, engage, and, and help that individual kind of reflect. So, so I guess there, there's a, a there's some ways that we can kind of really kind of challenge those uh, existing um, paradigms uh, where, whereas human support would still really fit into that uh, episode of care model. And, and this sort of breaks down those boundaries a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I think that's that's exactly it. It's sort of looking at how people maybe want to use it and rather than trying to fit it into pathways that, that are there and are based on traditional uh, methods because the technology allows us to do so much more with it and, and kind of meet people where they need it almost. And we actually I did a we did a piece of research, a big um, digital eye up trial that we did over the last few years. I did a qualitative analysis of user experience um, feedback. And a lot of the things coming out of that were about people maybe using it as a long-term support mechanism and, and using it um, on the go and using it in all these different ways that weren't necessarily how we, we expected. So I think, yeah, people are going to use it in that way anyway. So it'd be really nice to kind of look into how we could maximize that, I suppose. Thank you very much uh, for, your, for your time today. Um, is there any kind of closing thoughts or, or comments um, that we haven't had chance or opportunity to reflect on so, so far? It seems like there's lots of really exciting kind of future developments here, both in terms of proving efficacy, um, but also, again, kind of challenging kind of traditional way ways of delivering care, you know, both
both by the internet uh, and, and digital means, but also in terms of supporting people when they do access them. Is there any kind of thoughts uh, from either in terms of uh, anything that we, we haven't covered? I think you did a, a good summary, uh, Lloyd. It fits very well with the, these digital mental health solutions because they build in users a unique sense of, of agency. Regardless of the program, they build the, the, a sense of agency on the users about that they, they, are, they may be in control of their mental health and that they may need different um, programs or even different types of support and, and different times. So I think that this building this, this sense of agency in the users is actually a unique thing that uh, it's developed by, by these programs as well. Oh yeah, and also something I'm thinking about there was that how we measure success for the user as well is something really interesting to think about because yeah, if they're feeling the sense of agency and, and they could be getting different outcomes from this compared to our traditional programs or anything like a, a clinical intervention, which is, is a lot easier to measure outcomes. So outcomes in terms of well-being um, and quality of life is something quite uh, relevant and interesting that maybe um, yeah, we should look into more. Yes, I completely agree agree with that in the sense that our the traditional way of measuring success is is whether someone um, no longer reaches caseness for for um, depression or anxiety or whether their clinical symptoms have reduced. I think as we move into more positive psychology and and maintaining our well being, then then we need alternative ways to measure success. Um, and, and some of that is, you know, quality of life, um, you know, a sense of agency, locus of control uh, and, and other things as well. So I think that's going to become really important for us to measure in the future. So thank you very, very much uh, for, your, for your time today. Uh, I found that very interesting indeed. And, and it's got me kind of thinking about lots of things in terms of what we need to do next and then how we can apply some of these findings. Uh, into the way that we use SilverCloud, we kind of work with health systems uh, and, and other systems that, you know, like, for example, with uh, staff, workforce, employers, or even with kind of uh, younger people in terms of kind of education and children and young people as well. So uh, lots of kind of points that, that uh, you know, I'd like to kind of pick up outside of this podcast. So thank you both for, for joining us today. Um, and um, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, Lloyd. Yeah, thanks, Lloyd. It was great. The next podcast episode will be with Dr. Miriam Grover from City and Hackney NHS Clinical Commissioning Group on treating complex patients with digital therapy.